0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm your host, Marva Hinton. Today I'm welcoming Natalia Sylvester back to Read More. Her latest book, a critically acclaimed and award-winning YA novel, Breathe and Count Back from 10, was published last year. It's about a Peruvian-American teenage girl named Veronica living in Central Florida who has hip dysplasia. She's had to have several surgeries to treat this condition, and her doctor suggested swimming as a great exercise for her. Being in the water becomes her refuge, and she longs to be a mermaid at Mermaid Cove, a local amusement park, but her strict parents are totally against the idea. Natalia, thank you so much for coming on Read More again. It's always a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you so much, Marva. I'm excited to be back.
0: Natalia, I just love this book. I love Veronica and her story. Uh, In your acknowledgments, you say you have been dreaming up this book your whole life. And at 11, you tried to publish your first essay about having hip dysplasia. How does it feel to have this book out in the world now?
1: Hmm. Oh my gosh, it's a dream come true. I... You know, it's funny because I think sometimes we have these big dreams and it's hard to even imagine what they would look like once they're real. And I think for a long time, this book lived in my imagination um, and it, it, I'd been carrying it so long that it was almost intimidating. Like, could I ever really live up to the the way I imagined in my mind, all the things that I hoped it would be, all the different um <laughs> parts of the story that I hoped would come together um, all the different passions like I mean I've been you know mermaids and the idea of becoming one was something that was so special to me ever since I was a very young child and um, to be able to bring that all into this book was both really challenging but very very rewarding and it just feels like this very true part of me is finally out in the world and it's been lovely
0: well, when you write something that is so personal to you, does that make it easier or does it make it harder when you sit down and actually work on the project?
1: Oh, I think it depends on the day. Um, you know, on some days, like the writing would flow and it would feel like, I wouldn't necessarily call it easy, but it would feel just very natural. And um, other days, if I was writing a particularly hard scene or even if i just didn't know exactly where the story would go next it was it was difficult and it could be um challenging and especially because i feel like as i was writing i was processing a lot of things uh, in vero's life that maybe also reflected mine um or my experiences but i really wanted it to be true to vero's experience like i really didn't want this book to be autobiographical um and so it involved a lot of just unpacking and trying to figure out like what am I trying to say about this how can I say it in a way that is also part of a really engaging beautiful story for my character that's 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 fully her story not only um this kind of rewrite of my own life because I just I there's so many things that you know I grew up learning, knowing, experiencing, but I also think fiction is this beautiful vehicle for which you can make those experiences bigger than your own self. And that for me was the more challenging part. And not to mention that it also asked me to go to some vulnerable places um, that I maybe hadn't really fully realized. Like one of the things that Vero deals with a lot is the pain that she experiences constantly in her hip due to her hip dysplasia. And it's something that for a long time in my own life, I would really minimize it because I, you know, when you grow up disabled, the world kind of makes you feel like if you're if you voice your experiences too much, you are being a burden. And you internalize this idea that the best thing you can do is just quietly endure what you're going through. And so to even write a book like this, which is the opposite of Quietly Enduring, (laughs) which is actually giving voice to an experience that I had um, not necessarily centered in a lot of my work. Um, That's just in its own way, it was kind of like a self-rebellion. And that was challenging.
0: Well, since this book has been out, have you heard from a lot of teenagers who have hip dysplasia or other disabilities?
1: I have. And I think that's been some of the most beautiful parts of this is that, um, you know, I've heard from teens who said that they felt seen in this book or they'd never read a book with a a character who had the same disability as them. Um, And it just it's it's something that makes you feel less alone and it makes you realize that, well, if you're not the only one going through this, then it's I, I think I'd, I like, I draw strength from that. Like when I think like, Oh, it's not just me. Like this isn't just all in my head. I'm not imagining it. Right. Uh, and so when I've heard from teens who have, um, who have gone through that, it's, it's just really, it's beautiful. Like it makes me feel seen um, in this, in the same way when they say that they feel seen. In addition to
0: learning to live with the limitations of hip dysplasia, we also see Veronica having to contend with, overly strict parents and the pressure to be perfect and not draw attention to herself and this partly comes from her family being an immigrant family they're from Peru and there's this constant fear that they might be sent back and there's one part where her mom says that being a permanent resident alien is not a promise and you know she says that more than once. So while the story is told from Veronica's perspective, it seems like when you talk about these things, it really gives the reader uh, some insight into the pressures immigrants face and what her parents might be feeling. Uh, Why did you want to share this part of the story?
1: Yeah, I don't, I think that for me, like in order to really write Vidal, I didn't, it only made sense to have her be this multi-dimensional person, um, and I've certainly, in my own experience, I can't really separate my the the different parts of my identity. So I I couldn't imagine doing the same thing to Vero. So she, you know, I I look at uh, my experiences as an immigrant um, as being fully intertwined with my. Ex- experiences as being disabled, as being Latina, as being a daughter, as being a best friend and a sister, all these things that end up coming forward in Vero's story. And I think so much of it ends up really boiling down to um, what are the expectations that you're supposed to live up to in this world, that in this world in which maybe you've been told you don't quite fit in, right? Um, You know, Vero, even having hip dysplasia, which is a condition in which you're hip socket isn't fully aligned in the joint like it doesn't fully fit in you know like she feels that way both inside her body but even just in the world where she doesn't feel like she quite fits in as a Latina as an immigrant as a disabled person and so with um and the thing is that there's all these parts of her that are somehow tried like regulated and and there's um, control like imposed upon them. Like she's supposed to act a certain way as a good daughter, quote unquote. You know, she's supposed to act a certain way um, as a disabled person who maybe just doesn't um, complain, quote unquote, again, too much about her truths. Uh, She's supposed to act a certain way as a young girl who's just stepping into her own sexuality and maybe doesn't feel the freedom to explore it without shame. Um, and so she's really struggling with this idea. Of, well, what it comes down to is agency, right? Like in all the ways it looks, like who gets to have their say over your body in all the in the physical ways that manifest, be it through medical decisions or sexual decisions, or um, you know the things that you do in, in terms of pursuing your passions, like becoming a mermaid. Um, and then who gets to have a say over your future and your life? And for her, it's really a journey about. um, taking all that power back but for me like you know being an immigrant is so that that journey is so similar because you're constantly navigating a system that's telling you you have to um, that you may not be able to, to gain the approval of the powers that be in order to stay in the place that you are and so it's also about like the movement like the physical movement not only of her body um, from the perspective of where she can't, what she can and can't do with her body, but also just from the perspective of where is she allowed to just exist and just live and just be. And that extends to her family too. And they have, they live with that fear. Um, and sometimes out of wanting to protect her and her little sister, they maybe go too far. Her parents do in, 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 in crossing this line from we're doing this out of wanting to love and protect you to we're actually controlling you.
0: Well, we also see that push and pull in the way they talk to Veronica about her interactions with boys. They're very strict in that. I mean, they um, you mentioned that they were been calling her promiscuous or not not calling her promiscuous, but, but they've been warning her about being promiscuous since she was in elementary school and these warnings, though, haven't had the effect that they intended. Now, there are scenes in this book that address consent and why teenagers might not open up to their parents. When you write for young adults, is it always about the story, always story-driven, or is there a part of you that wants to put in certain issues to make sure that they're on your reader's radar to give them the language even to have these difficult conversations that come up for pretty much all teenagers
1: Hmm. oh i think that's such a great question i think that for me i always start with a story like it has to be a story that i like i can't actually for the amount of time and effort it takes to go through writing a book from beginning to end Uh, for me, it's not sustainable if it's not a story that I'm loving, that I believe in, that I feel is true, even when I'm the one who knows I'm making things up, right? Uh, But what's interesting to me is when I know something is true is when other truths start to come out. Um, And so it's almost like the more I'm driven by the story, the more all the multi- the multifaceted things that exist in that story also come to the surface, because I think that's how life is. Like no, nothing exists in a vacuum. Like, and in, in some ways, actually, I remember when I first started writing Breathe, um, because my my, my my previous books always inevitably end up going to places that I didn't realize were there, but they're, they're, they're very important to me, but then they're sometimes hard to dive into. Um, I remember with Breathe, I was like, I'm going to do a story about mermaids and it's just going to be fun and splashy and it's going to have summer romance Um, (laughs) which it has all of those things Um, but I also the more I dove into it I realized like I wouldn't be true I wouldn't be being true to Vero's story if I only focused on the things in her life that are fun and romantic and splashy because then that's just painting her experience with like one dimension and it's actually erasing all the parts of her that even when she is experiencing joy there's also parts that are bittersweet right and she is a teenager who yes wants to um, have a fun-filled summer living out her dream of being a mermaid at this theme park and falling in love with this with the cute new neighbor Um, but she also has really deep um, concerns and truths that she struggles with as well and she's very aware of them. Like she is very aware of the way language affects um, her life, the way that um, that her parents' own fears and traumas interfere with her being able to live out her dreams. Um, she's very aware of the shame the way shame like weighs on her heavily. And if she's not fully able to name it in the beginning, Um, it still doesn't mean that she's not experiencing it, you know? So again, I just, I don't believe in erasing any part of a a character's story. And my characters happen to live in a world that marginalizes them and often oppresses parts of them. And so to write this book and not have at any point address these realities uh, wouldn't have been fair or even honest,
0: well, let's talk about mermaids now. Um, that was such a fun part of the book. Um, so much of the book is about Veronica auditioning to be a mermaid and the hard work she has to put in in the pool and the choreography that she needs to learn. You mentioned in your author's note that you based Mermaid Cove on a popular theme park in Central Florida. Did you actually talk to mermaid performers to uh, prepare you to write this? And if you did, can you tell me a little bit about how that worked? Or if you did, what you did to prepare?
1: So this is really interesting because I was writing this book. I started writing it. um, Okay. I started writing it in truth because I had like inklings of it for years. And I'd maybe written a few ideas and, and paragraphs. But when I really started knowing like, okay, this is where I'm going. and This is where I'm headed. Um, it was the beginning of 2020 and the book sold to my editor around February slash March, I think. And so now I had a deadline, um, maybe it's like eight months or so to finish that first draft. And I had planned, I was signed up to go to mermaid camp. There is a mermaid camp at Wikiwachi Springs, which is what inspired this book. And um, you know, you, you, take classes you learn their choreography you wear the tail you get to swim in it Uh, so i was really excited for that and then of course that got canceled and most of my research ended up being like i did speak with someone at wiki i didn't get to speak with mermaids directly because they had been sent home at the time there were no shows and um but i did end up um doing a lot of research through um Books, um, following blogs, they're like following other mermaids, Uh, you know, YouTube, uh, just documentaries, everything I could find that was accessible to me during the the lockdown, uh, which ended up being challenging in its own way, Um, but also very interesting because Vero's experiences of the mermaid because her parents aren't very, um, they don't really they think the, her mermaid dreams are just kind of silly. They don't really um, encourage her in that. And so she often just kind of hides um, how she feels about them. And like her obsession with them isn't something she necessarily like wears on her sleeve uh, when it comes to her parents. So most of her interactions with that world are through like online videos, social media, uh, and it lives very much in her imagination uh, until she then, you know, Auditions and becomes one, and then has to then um, face the challenges of being a mermaid without her parents ever knowing. Natalia, your first
0: two novels were for adults, and this is your second YA novel. Do you feel like YA is your home now, or do you plan to go back to writing for adults?
1: Oh, um, no! I feel like fiction is my home, and wherever that story that I, whatever what's whatever story I happen to be writing at the time. Takes me—it's almost like finding new homes each time. Um, so I'm excited to write all sorts of stories, and in fact, my next book um, coming out in 2024 is a picture book. So it's for—it's um, co- it's called "A Maleta Full of Treasures," and it's being illustrated by Juana Medina. And it's about a little girl whose grandmother visits from Peru and brings this suitcase full of all sorts of like candies, photos, books, um, all sorts of treasures really that she sees as helping her connect with her home country that she's never been to. And um, and it's just about the ways that we stay connected to the places and the loved ones that live far away. Um, and so, I, yeah, I've always just been interested in, in just the stories themselves and the voices. And then who do I picture being the reader? And and oftentimes I find that that's not too far off from the place that I'm writing from. So I like when I've received um, the artwork for this book from the illustrator, Juana Medina, like I see it and it's almost like I'm seeing it through the eyes of my childhood self. And I can't believe that, you know, like I think, wow, I, I wish I could have told that little girl that one day she would see her own family life reflected in a book. Right. Um, So, and I I do have plans to write more adult books and um, more children's books, more YA, all of it. I want to be, I want to be writing all of it.
0: Well, let's talk about what you liked reading when you were a child. Did you have a favorite book at that time that you went to over and over again?
1: I think I had many. Um, I remember being really, really enamored by all the Berenstain Bear books Um, And I remember the first books that I really loved were Archie Comics, uh, because I just, it felt more accessible to me. And I still love Archie Comics. I I adore the characters and seeing all the different ways that over generations, you know, the the stories can manifest with these same characters, and yet it can evolve with their times, too. Um, But I just remember at the time, because I was learning to read and I had only just learned to speak English, uh, reading never came supernaturally to me. So for me, Archie Comics felt very accessible and they made reading feel fun and, and possible, actually. Um, I loved Matilda for the same reason, because she was a young girl who devoured books. And I guess I had the same aspirations. Um, and then I remember, you know, I didn't actually read books that I felt like fully reflected me until high school uh which is the first time I read uh Dreaming in Cuban by Cristina Garcia and um The Book of Embraces by Eduardo Galeano and those were the first Latinx authors that I'd read in terms of fiction anyways um and that just also felt really transformational like it made me realize that the stories that I have and carry could also exist on a page and in a book um yeah, it's just, there's, there's so many, it's probably hard to even narrow it down, but I'll start with those.
0: What about the books you're reading now? Are there any authors that you think we should know about in terms of, uh, you know, who's really putting out there some really good work now for, you know, YA, or if you want to talk about, you know, books for younger children, uh, just tell us, you know, who you're reading now and that we should know about.
1: So I am very excited to read, um, So Jennifer Baker's debut YA novel, Forgive Me Not, um, is coming out um, this year in, I believe it's August, yeah. And, um, you know, it's about a teen who is incarcerated in the juvenile justice system. Um, And it deals with just themes of um, forgiveness, but also, like, really seeing what are the, what are the, some of the, the problems with this system as well, and what, you know, what happens to her when, you know, she ends up getting in an accident one night that um, ends up killing one of her, like her little sister. Um, And what does it look like not only to get forgiveness, but even to forgive yourself. So I'm very excited. I love Jennifer Baker and and her previous work. And so that's definitely on my to read next. Um, I let's see what else I'm speaking of Christina Garcia. um, Dreaming in Cuban, the author of Dreaming in Cuban, um, she has a novel called Vanishing Maps coming out later this year, and it is the follow-up to Dreaming in Cuban. So it follows those characters um, several decades later, uh, which I'm also really excited about because I remember the day I finished reading Dreaming in Cuban thinking, like, I want to be able to write characters whose stories you don't want to let go, like who even after you finish turning a page, you wish you could stay with them. And at the, bef- at the time I'd been mostly writing poetry and this was a book that really made me want to write fiction. And so to know that we actually get to revisit those characters all these years later, feels really exciting. And then let's see, I love, um, let's see, what have I read? I'm trying to see, what have I read recently? Um, I read, oh, Chantela Severo's um, The Curse on Spectacle Key is a really fantastic middle grade novel, um, and I, I love her work. I've read all her books. I love her voice, and it, it's she has such humor and um, wholeheartedness in her characters that I really appreciate, and uh, it's, yeah, I think for now I'll stop there. <laughs>
0: Thanks so much for those recommendations. I'm looking forward to those books too. Also definitely want to shout out Jennifer Baker. She has been incredibly kind to me as a fellow podcaster. Um, Definitely listen to Minorities in Publishing if you're not doing that already for her very insightful interviews with people in the industry. What about your own work? Uh, Natalia, are you already working on a new book?
1: I am. I'm writing um, a few things that just haven't been announced yet. (laughs) So not to be cryptic or um, secretive, but hopefully I will be able to share soon. Um, But it's interesting because it's the first time I'm trying to write. Uh, I'm I'm usually someone who just, if I write one thing at a time, that's what I'm dedicating the next year or so to. Um, And this is my first time trying to see if I can be... Working on a few things, a couple of things kind of at the same time and then in between different pockets and ebbs and flows of the process. So that's been kind of interesting for me.
0: I cannot wait to read these new projects and I will be looking for those announcements about them. Natalia Sylvester, thank you so much for coming on Read More again. I always love sitting down with you and
1: talking about books. Thank you so much, Marva. Likewise.
0: Please go to our website, readmorepodcast.com, to find out how to win a free copy of Breathe and Count Back from 10. You can also help Natalia and the show by buying her book on our site. Please follow us on Twitter at readmorepodcast Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again in two weeks for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more.